0: The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Amen. As we get started this morning, um, I'd like to recognize today is December 1st. Um, And December 1st is uh, World AIDS Day. Um, 1.1 million people in the United States Uh, are living with HIV and AIDS, Um, 14,000 of those 1.1 million are in our state in Tennessee. And of that 14,000, almost 40% are in Memphis. Almost 40% of 14,000 people living in Tennessee with HIV and AIDS are here in Memphis. And I think this is important to think about and to talk about because Jesus touched the untouchable. When I look for HIV and AIDS in the New Testament, I don't find it. But I do find something similar, and those are lepers. And we see what Jesus did with lepers in Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And listen to what Jesus' response to this leper was. To this, this person who was untouchable, he was moved with pity. And he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be Clean, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. How can we have, this is a question we need to ask ourselves today on World AIDS Day, how can we have compassion and touch that community? I think it begins for each of us by just simply praying for them and praying, Lord, what would you have me do for this community of people? Ask the Lord for opportunities. Maybe the Lord wants you to seek out opportunities. There are great organizations in Memphis who support that community, and maybe the Lord's calling you to go and help those, uh, those situations, and maybe, maybe the Lord just simply called you to pray um, for those people and for that community. And what's the result of touching the untouchable? Jesus heals the man and then he says to him, listen, don't tell anybody, all right? You keep this to yourself and he doesn't and he goes out and he tells everybody that someone loved him enough to touch him, to touch the untouchable and what happens is after that, because of that man's testimony, Jesus can't go in towns anymore, Do you understand? That kind of love, touching the untouchable, is so unthinkable, it's so unheard of, that literally it changed the world. Jesus couldn't go in towns anymore. People would mob him. People were drawn to that kind of love. That kind of love changes the world. Before we get started this morning, can we just pray um, for that community? Can we pray for those people who are living with HIV and AIDS? Lord, um, we want to pray for everyone affected by HIV and AIDS this morning. It is a horrible, horrible disease. And Lord, the things that they go through and the the difficulties that they face, many of us, praise God, many of us cannot um, even fathom what they're dealing with. But Lord, you can. And Lord, your heart is the same heart we saw as you dealt with the lepers. You touched the untouchable and you've called us to do the same. So Lord, I, I do pray for that community. Their only hope, as is ours, is Jesus. Their only hope. For ultimate healing in you. For, for purpose in this life and then the next. Their only hope is you. So Lord, I pray specifically for that community. And specifically for those thousands of people in our community. Lord, would your hope be brought to them? Would they know your care? And would your people bring it to them? Lord, if, you've, if you want to call this church to serve that community in a special way, show us, reveal that to us. If you want to call people in this room to, to share your love with that community in a special way, show them, call them, lead them, But Lord, we do pray for that community. We pray for people affected by that disease. We pray that they would find hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we made it through Thanksgiving. When you have kids, holidays aren't necessarily the most relaxing thing anymore, especially when you have a bunch of family who lives in town. That's a great blessing a lot of times, but however, on holidays, what that means is you're a chauffeur, and so you pack up your kids really early, you go to one house, and then you time it, so you make sure you spend the exact same amount of time at the next house, right? And then you you end up bouncing back and forth here and there, but we made it, and right now my family is actually at home because they barely made it. Our kids have been sick, and my wife has been sick, passing some sort of stomach bug, but I did learn something that if my son says, Daddy, I need a band-aid for my tummy, that means get him out of your bed really quick, because uh, he's about to ruin it, right? And we did not go Black Friday shopping, praise God. Who did go Black Friday shopping? Did you watch Platoon or some war movie and go, that looks like fun, I'll go do that, right? Like, why in the world would you do that? Uh, how, who has their Christmas tree up? Who already has their Christmas tree up? Good. Who had their Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving? You killed a baby reindeer. That's what you did, Right? That's not okay. But I, I I love that we made it through Thanksgiving because that means it's Christmas time and I love Christmas time. I've got to be honest, I've been listening to Christmas music for a good month by now, all right? Like, I love Christmas time. I, I love that it's Advent. Advent starts today. Advent is a season of expectation. It's as we prepare our hearts, looking back to uh, the, the coming of Jesus in, the, in, the, in his birth, and also looking forward to the second Advent of, of Jesus coming again. And so we light the Advent wreath every week, right? We've got a theme for every Sunday as we look at Advent. Uh, so our themes will be hope, love, joy, and peace we made available through our website, uh, the devotional put out by Desiring God, Good News of Great Joy. It's a daily devotional that will help you lead you through Advent. If you go to our website, on the, at the very opening of the website, there's a banner that, that says our service times. Give it a few seconds. That banner will change into a link magically, will change into a link for that Advent devotional. There are many great resources for kids. There's, a, there's an iPhone, and Android app, uh, Advent app for children, uh, so that you can... Can lead your kids through Advent. Um, there are uh, Focus on the Family puts out a family devotional for Advent every year. Excuse me. So I love Advent. I, I love this season, this, this season of preparation, the season of, of looking towards Jesus. And we're gonna start with week one. Our theme for week one is hope, is hope. Now, this topic is far above me, but if we can get it today, I think that this will be very life-giving to us. Can we pray real quick? Can we pray before we go? Lord Jesus, we're about to open your word, and we're about to look at your understanding of hope. We're about to learn how you strengthen our hope, and Lord, my prayer is that many in this room, their hope would be strengthened today as they remember and look at the Messiah And my prayer, Lord, is also for many in this room who don't know you, who don't know that hope, Lord, they will recognize um, their their, uh, uh, longing for for something more, they'll recognize their lack of that hope that that you're telling us about, that that you supply, and that, Lord, they will um, seek you today, they will hope in you today for the first time. So, Lord, give us understanding as we open your words, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him about our hope. In Matthew 1, he says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He is our hope. Without him, we are hopelessly separated from God. Jesus is our hope. I love in First Timothy 1, Paul says this about Jesus. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. He is our hope. But before we continue, we hear that word hope all the time. Hope is used so many different ways in our culture. It's it's almost become meaningless because it has so many meanings. You know what I'm talking about? Right? When I say hope, you, you, something comes to mind and, and probably no two person's thoughts are alike when it comes to hope. And so we need to look at what, what, is, what is a biblical definition of hope because it's extremely meaningful and I want to have a, a clear understanding, a clear agreement on that because that's, that's what Jesus is bringing us is hope. That's, that's, that's who, what he embodies and we need to see a clear definition of that today. So, so what is hope? Well, a world's definition of hope, you look it up in a dictionary, it says this, A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, we use it differently. I'll give you some examples. My examples are going to come from being a fan of the Memphis Tiger basketball program. Note I said basketball, all right? So it's going to come from that understanding. Like, I hope that the Memphis Tigers will beat a top 25 team this year right? I hope that. And so I hope for a good thing to happen in the future. Our our, our hope, our hope that they can do that, our hope is that the Tigers will actually run a play this season, all right? So our hope is that they'll actually run a play. So I hope for a good thing in the future. Another example, our only hope for the Tigers to be a top 25 team is if the other team, if the other team gets food poisoning before the game, all right? So my hope is the reason, of what I, that, that what I want will come to pass, right? So, so those are three different ways we, we use hope, distinctly different. It's a desire for something good in the future. It's the object. It's the thing in the future we want. And it's also the reason our desire may be fulfilled. Now, these three examples of hope absolutely are found in the Bible. They absolutely are. However... These are ordinary uses of the word hope, and there's a distinct difference in the ordinary use of hope and the unique biblical concept of hope. So to figure that out, let's ask this question. What are these three ways we use hope? The examples I just give. what do they have in common? What do the ordinary uses of hope have in common? Well, they express uncertainty rather than certainty, right? I, I have no certainty that the Tigers will win. I have no certainty that they will actually learn to run a play, right? I have no certainty that the other team will get food poisoning, right? So so when we use hope, a lot of times we're expressing uncertainty and not certainty. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good or something to happen, but it's this. It's a confident expectation and desire for good things to happen. When we speak of biblical hope, it's from a place of confidence and certainty, not just desire, so, so when we talk about this biblical hope, this biblical concept of hope, it's not just speaking from a place of uncertainty. In fact, it's the opposite. It's speaking from a place of certainty and confidence. That sounds a lot like faith, doesn't it? Right? Having that, doesn't that sound like a lot like faith? Almost, almost suspiciously so. Well, well, a great example of it is in Romans eight twenty eight. It says, and we know that the, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So, so I'm confident. We know that's confidence, right? That God will work good things for me in the future. Is that not faith? That sounds a lot like faith. Are we talking about hope? Are we talking about faith? What's the difference here? Let's look at the link between faith and hope, and, and, and I think it'll, it'll help us better understand where this confidence comes in biblical hope. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. This is the closest thing to the definition of faith we have. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not, not seen. So it looks as if hope is a part of faith, doesn't it? Because faith, here we go, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's the confidence there. So using our definition for hope, we can apply it to faith too, right? So, so faith is also a confident expectation and desire for good things to happen. So how are they different? How is hope different from faith? The definition of faith doesn't end with hope, does it? Look, it's bigger. It goes goes on. It says, it's also the conviction of things not seen, right? So faith is bigger. Faith doesn't just look to the future. That's what hope is, right? Hope looks to the future. Faith doesn't just look to the future. It can look around and it can look to the past. Let me me explain. From Hebrews chapter 11, if you read down to verse 3, it'll explain. By faith... We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen uh, was not made out of things that are visible. So I wasn't there when the universe was created, right? You weren't either. That's past. But faith can look backwards, right? Faith can look backwards, and I have full confidence that the Lord created the universe. I didn't see it happen. I didn't but I have full confidence that it happened. Faith not only looks forward, that's hope, it also can look backwards, it's larger than that. Hope is a part of faith. I didn't see the Lord crucified, I didn't see him resurrected from the dead, but I have full confidence betting my life on it, right? Laying my life on it, I have full confidence. So faith can look backwards, it's just—it's bigger. So hope absolutely is a part of of faith. That's how they relate. Hope is a part of faith. So we could say that hope is future faith. Does that make sense? So hope is future faith. Why is this important? You might say, great. Okay, good. You read Hebrews. Why is this important? Here's why it's important. For two reasons. One, hope is indivisible from faith. We need to understand that. It's important. It's indivisible from faith. If you remove hope from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, if you remove remove future faith from faith, then the definition of faith falls apart. It completely falls apart. It's incredibly important. In fact, I would say this. Hope is essential to your salvation. We would agree that faith is essential to your salvation. Hope is a part of faith. Therefore, hope is essential to your salvation. Let me illustrate from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have have once been enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So they've fallen away. How? They had no future faith. Their faith was incomplete. They had some amazing experience with God, right? Some amazing experience, right? I I shared in in the Holy Spirit as I shared in the, 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 the fellowship of other believers, right? But their hope was somewhere else. Their faith was somewhere else and it led them somewhere else and they fell away. I went to school with people that I worshiped together with. I worshiped side by side with. We shared the fellowship of the Holy Spirit together. They went to Bible studies with me. We, we, they, they, they shared in the, in, the, in the knowledge of the word of God with me together and now they're apostates. Now they deny the Lord Jesus and they deny the Lord. How? Their future faith, their hope was set on something else. And that something else led them somewhere else. Hope is essential. Their faith was incomplete. Hope is essential. Our future faith is essential to our our salvation. It shows whether it's real or not. If you keep reading in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, he says, And we desire each one of you to, shame, to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So in other words, he's saying, keep pursuing that full assurance of hope until the end, so that through faith and patience, you'll get your hope. You'll get your hope. So do you also see here that the assurance of faith, the assurance of hope here in faith, they're they're almost synonyms. You can't have one without the other, right? You can't have hope without faith. You can't have faith without hope, right? We see they're, they're closely tied together and we learn that hope is indispensable. It's indivisible from faith. And secondly, it's important to understand this because we understand that hope is strengthened by faith. We learn what strengthens our hope. If it's that important and something that needs to be strengthened, we learn how. It's strengthened by faith. It's not baseless, wishful thinking. It's not saying, oh, I hope everything works out. Well, I hope I get what I want. I hope this does that, right? No, no, no. That's baseless. That's you just saying words, right? And just putting hope out there. That's pie in the sky. That's not, that's not real. That's wishful thinking. But we learn that hope is connected to faith. So that past and present faith strengthen our confidence for the future. It strengthens our hope. I'll give you an example. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. So there we go. Hope without wavering. The way we use hope it seems almost impossible to hope without wavering, right? I mean, think about it, like if, if you're buying a, a Christmas gift for your wife, I, 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 maybe husbands, you're thinking, I hope that, that she likes this, right? But, but is it unwavering your hope, right? Are you sure she really wanted an exercise bike for Christmas, right? Is it an unwavering hope? No, of course not. I put my hope in this presentation at work to get my promotion. Is it an unwavering hope? What's strengthening that hope? I'm hoping that this time away from my family from work, for work will pay off in the long run. It won't be detrimental to my kids in the long run. Are you sure? Do you have an unwavering hope, right? But this hope, we see this hope here in Christ Jesus, this hope is hope without wavering. How? It's informed. Look, hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. He who promises faithful. So it's not uninformed hope. In fact, future faith is informed and strengthened by past faith and present faith. Does that make sense? Right, so our hope is strengthened by our past faith and our present faith, right? It's informed. It's not uninformed. It's not baseless, right? I can say that the Lord will be faithful to me. I'm unwavering in my hope that he will be faithful to me because he's been faithful, right? Right? It's informed hope. Can I give you another biblical example of how hope is informed by faith and therefore can be unwavering? I wanna give you another example. I want you to, to look at it with me in the scriptures because I don't want you to think I made this up. I want you to see what I saw here. So turn to Romans chapter five. Would you turn to Romans chapter five? Should be some Bibles under your chairs if you'd like to turn there. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So, verse one, we're in right standing with God through faith and what he's done. So, that's looking back. That's past faith. Verse two, we're currently standing in grace, right? So, verse two, we're currently experiencing his grace. That's present faith. And what's the result? And we rejoice. Verse two: We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we're looking forward to. We're rejoicing in what God will do. That's our hope. That's our future faith, right? So it's informed by our past faith and by our present faith. I stand in grace. He's justified. Uh, he's justified me. Therefore, I have hope. I have future faith of good things to come. I have future faith of the glory of God, right? And keep going. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. So in suffering, the Lord helps us endure and uses the difficulty to shape us and grow us. And because God has shown himself faithful again and again in these difficult times by not wasting our suffering, my confidence in him being faithful in the future grows stronger and stronger and stronger. Do you see what the result is of God not wasting our suffering? What's the final result? Perseverance character and character what? Hope, right? Hope. So what God has done and is doing continues to strengthen our hope. And what do we see about hope in verse 5? And hope doesn't disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We see that hope, that future faith and good things in the Lord Jesus will not disappoint because its source and supply is what, according to verse 5? It's God himself through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? other people who set their their hopes on other things, their future faith on other things looking this way, they will disappoint. They absolutely will disappoint because their foundation is not eternal. Their foundation is is not uh, unchanging like the Lord is. So hope is a confident expectation and confident desire for good things to happen. And that confidence comes not from wishful thinking, but from God Himself. Again, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Our hope is strengthened and informed by our faith. So hope is important. Hope's worth fighting for. So so, so back to Advent. Although, Although hope is important and wonderful, it's a wonderful gift from God, hope was difficult for those waiting for the first Advent. Those waiting for the Messiah, it was difficult for them. The world was dark. There's a, I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently. We were talking about raising our sons in a culture where the average age of someone exposed to pornography is, is 11. And we are talking about how do you deal with that? How do you protect them? And no matter what kind of things we, we put on the, the computer to block it, no matter what we, what we do to try to keep it from them, they'll have friends, and their friends will show it to them. Or they'll find it, right? They'll find a way around. They're smart, Right? And so we started talking about, like, man, that's just so difficult. Like, I get, oh, it's going to be so hard to raise him like that. we got to, we really need to seek the Lord's wisdom on that. And, and we were looking at Proverbs together, and there's literally a scripture in Proverbs where Solomon talks about uh, seeing, seeing this man going out and walking in the streets, and there are women coming out into the streets, older women, to seduce younger men to come have sex with them. And we went, that's not, that's worse Like, that's not... Okay, we can deal with pornography, all right? Like, we can deal with that. At least I don't have to... Talk to my kids about women being out in the street trying to seduce them to come into their homes. That doesn't happen, at least not a lot. All right, like that's not common. But but we see like that was in their world. Like that was difficult. And the Israelites they faced difficulties all the time from their own people, from holy war, uh, holy wars with servants of false gods. Sin being an acceptable form of worship for a lot of people. Their kingdom was split up. They were captives multiple times because of their unfaithfulness but they hoped, because hope was vitally important in in dark times, vitally important. Hope battles despair by paving a path of faithfulness. It keeps your eyes focused. You see an example of that in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Moses. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses believed that God would be better than what Egypt had to offer. It was difficult to be mistreated. I'm sure it was. It was difficult to leave this easy life and then go and choose to be mistreated, right? But he did it. That hope kept him on the path of faithfulness, right? This is where I'm going. I, I, I choose the riches of God, right? And it kept him going in those times of despair. Moses believed God would be stronger than the king of Egypt. His hope kept him focused. It kept him walking in the right direction, right? Hope was vitally important in dark times. I love the picture of people who are learning to drive for the first time. What do you always tell them? Wherever you're looking is where the car will go. Right? We don't steer with our heads, we steer with our hands, and yet, wherever you're looking is where the car will go. The same with hope. Wherever your future faith is, that's where you're headed. That's where you're headed. So hope is important, and, and it was in a, a, they were in a difficult place, so how did they secure hope in difficult places like this? Like, like, we see it's important, and we see there's a dark place. How did they do it? How did they secure that hope? Well, they fought for hope. We don't think of hope as something to fight for, Right? We think of faith as something to fight for, right? We, we, we talk about resist the enemy, take captive every thought, right? Like, like fight, fight for your faith. We, we hear that all the time. But if faith uh, is and, and hope is a part of faith, then it's something that you can fight for. How? Psalm 42 verse 5 says this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So how did they fight? They preached to themselves. Look what he says to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. He was preaching to himself. Hope in God. Well, how do I hope in God? It goes back to what faith is. It goes back to what hope is. Hope is future faith. Let your faith inform your future faith. Psalm 42, beginning in verse six. Keep going in verse six. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount of, uh, and Mount Mizar. So so in Jordan, he remembers it's drying up for God's people. In Hermon, he remembers the victories the Lord gave his people in Joshua chapter 12. And Mount Mizar, he remembers the Lord's gift of the law at Zion. So his faith informs and strengthens his hope. They strengthen their hope by preaching it to themselves, right? They preach God's faithfulness to themselves to strengthen their hope. Hope in God. Hope in God. Are you cast down? Hope in God. Remember how good he's been and how he will be, right? Abraham was an example of that. Abraham, it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham's hope, his future faith, was unwavering, even in light of putting his son to death. God had promised that through his son, he would, he would give him an inheritance, he would give him uh, a people that, that, that would be more numerous than the stars. So he heard God's promise, right? And then God says, hey, listen, the one that, that, that I'm gonna fulfill that promise through, you go up and you sacrifice him, you kill him, put him on the altar for me. But, but even in, in light of that, his future faith, his hope was unwavering because why? Look at what the verse says. He knew that God was able even to raise him from the dead. He knew God's power, he knew that his past faith, his present experience with God informed his future faith. He knew God's power, so it it didn't matter. His, His hope was unwavering, and he was preaching to himself all the way up that mountain. God's been faithful, God's been strong, even if he lets me go through with this through killing Isaac, he can bring him back from the dead. He can still be faithful to his promise, right? So his so his past faith informed his future faith it strengthened his hope. Abraham's wife Sarah is an example of that as well. In Hebrews 11:11 11, 11, it says, "By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised." So by faith she received power. How? She considered him faithful who had promised. Her past experiences, her past faith informed her future faith. It strengthened her hope. So they preached that hope to themselves. They preached it over and over again. Hope in God, here's why. Hope in God, here's why. They fought for hope and their ultimate hope was obviously the promises of God in the Messiah, in Jesus. And as they looked forward to the Messiah, they preached the promises of God to themselves. I'm sure... As they watched the nations mock God, they hoped in God's promise one and preached to themselves Psalms 2, which says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. As they were in captivity, they hoped in God's deliverer and preached to themselves, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So they waited, and they waited for the advent and the promises of God in that advent, and some faithful followers of God never looked away from that hope. Continually looking at the past faith and having that, that past faith, present faith, strengthen that hope. One of those people was named Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we meet him. It says, there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. His hope was unwavering. His hope was set on the consolation of Israel. His hope was set on the Messiah, right? And and how did he strengthen that hope? He continually worshiped the Lord. He was devout. And he kept coming to the temple and worshiping the Lord. His hope was fixed on the advent of the Messiah. and, And in that temple and in that worship, his faith grew and it informed his hope and it strengthened his hope. And the Lord rewarded him. And we see in verse 26 and 27, he gets to see his hope fulfilled as he gets to hold the baby Jesus. What does this have to do with us today? Jesus has come. We aren't expecting the Messiah to be born. He was born. Well, we're all, we are in a similar situation as those waiting for the first advent. The world is still a dark place today as it was then. We live in a post-Christian culture, partially our own doing, and it won't be easy. Our world, is, is Roman says, is groaning to be set free from its curse, Everyone suffers here. It's a difficult place. And hope is still vital today. Hope still battles despair by paving a path of of faithfulness. It keeps us focused on what God has called us to do, even in the middle of being in a dark place. We read that already in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. It says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can endure difficulty and work and labor and love because of our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It keeps us focused. It keeps us going. So our world was dark just like theirs. Hope is still vital just like it was then. And we still have to fight for hope. We still must preach hope to ourselves. Psalm 42, five says, hope in God. We still have to preach that to ourselves. When your marriage is unrecognizable, hope in God. When your career is off the rails, preach yourself hope in God. When your kids don't want anything to do with you, hope in God. When your finances are a wreck, hope in God. When you've fallen in the same hole of temptation for the thousandth time, hope in God. And just like then, it is true now, our ultimate hope is still found in the promises of God and the Messiah and Jesus. He is our hope. And here's the good news for us waiting on the second advent. Here's what's different about us waiting on the second advent. We preach the promises of God just like they did. We preach the promises of God in Jesus to ourselves. Here's the good news. Listen, on this side of the cross. We get to preach the good news of Jesus, the promises of God in the Messiah on this side of the cross. We don't look at the prophecies and wonder how God will reveal himself through the Messiah. We can look at Jesus and see how he's revealed himself. We don't have to look at the prophecies and wonder what our deliverance will look like. We can look at Jesus and see our deliverer. I love this. Our sermons to ourselves of hope, strengthening faith, start and finish with Jesus because he is the promises of God. He's the embodiment of the promises of God. Isn't that simple? Isn't that wonderful? That our confident expectation of good things is informed and strengthened by what the Messiah has already done and promised. Just remembering Jesus strengthens our hope. Isn't that that wonderful? Just remembering who he is and what he's done and what he's promised strengthens our hope. So this holiday season should be a season of sermon after sermon to yourself. Hope in God. As you look at the Messiah, you should hope in God. Confident expectation for good should abound because it abounds in our Messiah. Hope abounds in him. Look at him. There's hope for all people. Remember, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You don't think the promises of God apply to you? Look at our Messiah. He said, Come to me, all. That's all. Anybody in here not in all? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Have you failed again? Are you embarrassed? Do you feel unworthy? Look to our Messiah. Look to his hope. Here's what he said. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call you. Look to our Messiah. Let him strengthen your hope. Martin Luther said, if Christ had arrived with trumpets and laying in a cradle of gold, his birth would have been a splendid affair, but it wouldn't have been a comfort to me. He was rather to lie in the lap of a poor maiden and be thought of little significance in the eyes of the world. Now I can come to him. He reveals himself to the miserable. Do you feel unworthy? Look at the Messiah and you preach to yourself and you say, soul, why are you downcast? Hope in God. Look at the hope abounding in our Savior. There's hope for those who feel alone. Remember that the baby in that manger promised to never leave you. Our Messiah said, I'm always with you to the end of the age. Do you feel alone at work being the only Christian there? Is it the end of the age? Then he's with you. And do you feel alone in a marriage where your spouse doesn't follow God? Is it the end of the age? No, then he's with you. Do you feel alone raising your kids by yourself? Is it the end of the age? Then he's with you. Do you feel alone because lately it seems like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and coming right back at you? Is it the end of the age? Then he's with you. Do you feel alone? Then look at our Messiah and say to yourself, soul, why are you downcast? Hope in God. There's hope for those in need. Remember the baby in the manger promised to meet your needs. Our Messiah said this, don't be anxious saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows you that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. During the 30 years war in the 17th century, there's a German pastor named Paul Gerhardt And his family were forced to flee from their home. One night, as they stayed in a small village inn, they were homeless and afraid. And his wife just broke down and cried openly in despair. To comfort her, Gerhart reminded her of the scripture promises about God's provision and keeping. Then going out to the garden to be alone, he too broke down and wept. He felt he had come to his darkest hour. Soon afterward, Gerhard felt the burden lifted and sensed anew the Lord's presence. Taking his pen, he wrote a hymn that brought comfort to many people. He wrote this. Give to the winds thy fears, hope, and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait thou his time. So shall the night soon end in joyous day. What did Gerhard do? He preached to himself is anxiety like another member of your family then preach to yourself your father knows is there a financial hole that seems impossible for you to climb out of preach to yourself your father knows is there a need that seems impossible preach to yourself your father knows are you in need look at our messiah and say to yourself so why are you downcast hope in god There's hope for those who hurt. Remember that the baby in the manger knows you're hurt and will always know. Hebrews chapter two says our Messiah suffered. Our Messiah suffered loss. He suffered abandonment, pain, persecution, death, humiliation, betrayal, temptation. He suffered. And Hebrews four says he's forever our sympathetic high priest because of it. When my heart was broken by betrayal, he knows when I had to say goodbye way too early, To friends, he knows that hollow hurting. When carrying his name makes me a punching bag, he knows what it's like. He was a punching bag. When I hurt, he knows better than anyone else. He knows, and he can do something about it. Do you hurt? Then look at our Messiah and say to yourself, soul, why are you downcast? Hope in God. There's hope for those who are tempted. Remember, the baby in a manger is a human who is tempted with sin. Hebrews 4 says that our Messiah was tempted in every way. And Hebrews 2 says our Messiah suffered when tempted so that now he can help us in our temptation. Are you tempted? Then look at our Messiah and say, soul, why are you downcast? Hope in God. He's our, there's hope for those who die. Remember that the baby in the manger was born to die and destined to live. Our Messiah said the son of man is gonna be delivered in the hands of men. They'll kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And our Messiah said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Just uh, just a couple weeks ago, or last week, we buried Bill Brooks, a member of this church, a brother in Christ, and we had to say goodbye. But we didn't have to be sad as those who have no hope, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will take back with Jesus those who have died believing in him. Our Messiah's example is informing and strengthening our hopes. Are you facing the end of your life? Look at our Messiah and say, so why are you downcast? Hoping God. And lastly, he's a hope for those who live. Remember that that baby in that manger promised a second advent. If he's come once, he'll come again. Our Messiah said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And he also said, he will come on a cloud with with power and great glory and he'll make all things new sometimes it's easy to despair when sin abounds in our world isn't it it's easy to think that the lord's forgotten us it's easy to cease our work and service when no one seems to notice anyway it's easy to lose perspective and start building up treasures here on earth forgetting treasures in heaven but he is coming again just like our messiah said to them he says to us straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near Are you lost in the monotony of the day-to-day? Are you tempted to despair? Look at our Messiah and say to yourself, preach to yourself, why are you downcast, soul? Hope in God. So in conclusion, to the believers, simply remembering the Lord Jesus strengthens your hope. It informs your hope. That, That past faith, that present faith, informs your future faith. It strengthens your hope. So preach that strength to yourself this season. Every time you sing a song about in this holiday season, preach that strength to yourself. Every time you talk to your kids about the baby Jesus, preach his strength to yourself. When life gets tough this month, and just because Christmas is ending this month, it doesn't mean this month isn't gonna be difficult. When life gets difficult this month, remember our Messiah and preach his hope to yourself. Hope in God to the rest of us in this room. For those of you, who have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your future faith isn't based in in following him. Your future faith isn't based in the hope that God offers. Hope in God now. Surrender to him now. The word says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you everyone?